Keep your Bibles there at Matthew 12. Uh, But before we do, uh, let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we have heard from Jason and the growth that is happening in the church in China. And we pray that as we hear your word today, here, that you too would grow in us a desire to see your kingdom come. Father, we come to your word now and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. And I ask that it would be your words and not mine. That it would be your voice that is heard and not mine. And that your words and your truth would be written on the hearts of each of us here today. So, Father, speak to us. Help us to see. Help us to understand. Help us to taste the truth and the wonder of your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Are you a winner? Are you winning at life? I'm winning at life. It's the catchphrase that's gone around for the last few years. Um, It's all over social media uh, and it's all over the place. I'm winning at life. Just stop from it. What does that even mean? I'm winning at life. When I think about it, there's a few things that come to mind. Number one, there's competition. If you're winning at something, there's a competition. And you're competing against other people. Uh, number two, it assumes somebody loses. Uh, at school these days, they, all the teachers are saying, you're all winners. They just don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. The reality is that if you're winning, somebody loses. Uh, number three, there are rules to determine how to play and how to win. And if you don't follow the rules, you don't win. So when people say, I'm winning at life, who are they playing against? Who are they competing against? And if they've won, who's lost? What rules are they following? I don't know about you, but it seems like everyone is playing by a different set of rules. So how do you know who wins? Uh, One of my favourite card games is Flux. This is the pirate version. Um, It's called Flux, and there's a reason it's called Flux. Because no game is ever the same. It is always in flux. Uh, The rules can change at any time. Um, Let me just give you a few... Let me just explain the game really quickly. Um, You start the game with one rule. You pick up a card, you play one card. But then at any point, people can play and the rules can change. So you can draw three cards instead, instead of one. And then you might have to play all your cards that you have in your hand. And then you might only be able to hold two cards at any one time. So at the end of your turn, you have to get rid of all your cards. Now, how do you win? Well, the game has goals, and you have to collect things to win and meet the certain requirements. So this one is uh, you have to collect a sword and a pistol, and when you have the sword and pistol, you win. But at any time, the rules can change. kind of feel like life is like that sometimes today. That everything is in flux. 
Nobody really knows the rules or the goals of life, and they just make it up as they go along. There's a few different versions of the game. You may have heard them. Uh, Survival of the fittest. The goal is to survive, and the rule is do whatever it takes to survive. Uh, There's another one. I love this one. Follow your dreams. Uh, Find your purpose in life and do whatever makes you happy. Uh, There's the 15 minutes of fame, or 5 seconds of fame, depending on where you go. But basically, to be famous, to be known, and you do whatever it takes so that other people notice you. And then there's the health, wealth, and success. That's big at the moment. Uh, It's a bit of a mix of different things. Um, But there's different versions to this game. But the problem is that there's always new updates, new versions, expansion packs, and add-ons, and nobody really knows what's going on. There's nothing new. People have been playing the game of life, well, since life began. There's been a few tweaks and additions, some different name changes, but none of it's really new. They're all essentially the same game. Now, in Jesus' day, as we see here, the problem, uh, the same game existed for the Jews, uh, for the Jewish people. God gave them rules. You can read them back in the early parts of the Bible. Um, And God's idea was that these rules would help the Israelites know how to live. Uh, Live this way and you'll win at life. The problem was that they didn't read or follow the rules. Instead, they decided that they liked the other versions that other people were playing uh, and the way that other people were living and chose to follow them. That's the story of the Old Testament. Now, there were some people who did try and read and follow God's rules. And in Jesus' day, they're the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. But they didn't stop there. They didn't just read God's law. They didn't just follow God's law. They added to them. And they wanted people to follow these rules. They did. But they just made it harder for people to follow them because there was just too many. They just kept adding to them. Let me give you an example. Exodus 31.14 says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So God says, don't do any work on the Sabbath. Don't break the Sabbath. Why? Because he works six days to create the world, and then he rested on the seventh. And he wanted the Israelites, the people of God, to do the same thing. Now the Pharisees then said, well, what exactly is work? What does work mean? How do we define it? What do we consider is working and what is not? And so we come to our passage today and we have this example. The disciples go along and they're hungry, and so they pluck some grain and they eat it. Well, for the Pharisees, this is a problem. The Pharisees question Jesus. This is a problem for them because for them this was working. This was reaping. Uh, they, they described it as breaking off grain from the source of life. And so that was working because you're demonstrating control over the environment. It's the same reason that they wouldn't climb a tree in case they broke off a branch. It might seem a bit silly to us. We hear those things, and well, that's a bit funny. But if you've been around in church for a while, how many times do you hear people say, read your Bible more, you should pray more, you should do this, you should do that? It's the same thing. How does Jesus respond to the Pharisees? Verse four, uh, 3. Uh, he uses an example of David. 
one of their great heroes, and he uses this story from 1 Samuel 21. David enters the tabernacle, the place of God, the house of God, and he eats uh, the consecrated bread, the bread in the presence. And it was unlawful for him to do. He wasn't allowed to do that. That was only for the priest. But the thing that Jesus wants to say here is the Bible actually doesn't say or criticize or judge David. It just says that he does it. Now, the judge, uh, Bible is full of judgment for other things that David does, but not here. And Jesus says, well, here's another example. You have the priest in the temple, and they have to work on the Sabbath. They have to make sacrifices. They have to bake the bread that David ate. They have to bake this bread and put it out on the Sabbath. But again, the Bible is silent, and they are innocent. They are guiltless. And so Jesus says in verse 6, something greater than the temple is here. This temple, this place where you come to worship God, where you follow God's law, where you follow his rules and you win at life, the centre of Jewish life, Jesus says something greater is here. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've missed the point. You've missed the point of the law. The point of the law wasn't to make life harder for people. Verse 7, he says, if only you knew what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't be making such a big deal about these things. You wouldn't be making the innocent guilty for no reason because the Son of Man, verse 8, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees missed the point of God's law. Here, Jesus says, it's not about the sacrifice. It's not about how you do things. It's not about the way you do things. It's not even about following the rules. It's about something else. It's about mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone who deserves otherwise. Or in other words, unmerited undeserved favour. Mercy is undeserved, unmerited favour. God's law was never about following the rules and getting them right. It was about mercy. Paul explains it like this in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 19. He says, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. God gave the law to show that without his help, nobody wins at life. The whole point of the law was to show us sin. That without God, without his mercy, we don't get anywhere. But instead, people tried harder and harder to win at life on their own. God wanted relationship with his creation. That's why he created them in his first place. But the problem with sin is that people want to decide for themselves the rules to life, what is good and what is evil. And so God gives them the law. God gives them the law to prove to them that they can't do it. That no matter how hard they try, how hard they try and follow the rules, they can't do it. 
that he's the only one who knows what's good and evil, the only one who knows the rules to the game. But we keep trying. And that's, again, the story of the Old Testament. People trying to live life their own way and not realising that God's there to help them. And they do that because they don't recognise that God is the game master. If you're a serious gamer, he's the dungeon master. He's the creator. He created the game. And it's not about sacrifices. It's not about obeying the laws and following the rules. It is about mercy. And so verse 9, Jesus moves on. Jesus goes on from the Pharisees, but the Pharisees haven't given up. They haven't learned their lesson, so they're back for round two. They've lost round one and they're back for round two. But they've got a plan. They see this man with a shriveled, with a withered hand, and so they're like, they pull a man, an innocent guy, pull him in, and they go to Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They've set this trap, and according to their rules, unless this guy was dying, there was no healing on the Sabbath. So Jesus, verse 11, turns around and says, well, what's more important, an animal or a man? And the fact that Jesus asks them this question, he assumes that if the sheep falls into a hole, into a, into a pothole, they're going to pick it up and get it out. So if you're not going to leave a sheep, an animal, in a hole, what would you do for the sick man? For Jesus, the answer is a no-brainer, and so he heals him. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 14, the Pharisees are not happy. They storm out of the place to plot their revenge. Good game. GG. Jesus, one Pharisee, zero. Why did the Pharisees get angry? The Pharisees thought that they were winning at life. They'd figured out the rules, they'd figured out how to play the games, and they were going to show others how it all worked, how good they were. But then Jesus shows up to play the game and he beats them at their own game. He doesn't just beat them, he brings in a whole new set of rules, a whole new way to play, and he's the one, the chosen one, who will show them how. For Jesus, it is about doing good, showing mercy and bringing justice. And if we want to follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus, then this is the way that we play the game. This is the way that we live our lives, by doing good, showing mercy and bringing justice to this world. Now, I want to make this clear right now. This isn't how we win. That's, it's just how we play. How we win is a different aspect. This isn't how we get into heaven. It's not by doing these things that we get into heaven. But it's how we play. It's how we live life. And that's the Pharisees' mistake. They thought that this was the way to win and get their ticket into heaven. Jesus shows us that his rules to life are different. Doing good, showing mercy and bringing justice to the world. In order to win though, there's something else that's needed. Verse 15 Jesus knows that the Pharisees are out to get him and so he makes a strategic withdrawal. 
always a good thing in a, in, a, in a war to know when to pull out so you can come back and win the war. But he doesn't withdraw because he's afraid. This is a strategic withdrawal. It's not time yet. The time isn't far off. And as we head into Easter, that's four weeks away, by the way, as we go into Easter, Jesus is gearing up for what his enemies are planning. He's withdrawing at this point because he's getting ready for the big battle. And it's the same reason that he doesn't want people telling others about what he's done. It's not time yet. It's not his time to make his big show. Verse 17, as we've seen throughout this series, Matthew sees in this act, in this episode, Jesus fulfilling the words of the prophet. This time another prophet, uh, prophecy of Isaiah. What does it tell us? Let's have a look there. Verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus is God's chosen servant. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. God dearly loves him and God is pleased in him. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the nations. Jesus is all about bringing justice. Verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's not going to make a big deal out of himself. He's not going to go down the street telling everyone how great he is. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench or smolder. He's not going to kick people off his team because they're weak or tired. And he's going to keep going until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the nations, the Gentiles, will hope. The game of life is unlike any game that you will ever play. I've tried thinking about all the games that I know, and this is unlike any game we have. It's a team game. You play this game in a team. And the only way that you can win is by playing in a team. But that's not enough either. You see, while we have the way to play, to do good, to show mercy and to bring justice, that's not how we win. The only way that we win in this game is if Jesus wins. This is a weird game. It's a team game when everyone has to play but only one person wins. It's like a game of basketball where you only have one person who's allowed to score. Everyone else still has to play to help make that happen. And only one person gets the score. And in this game of life, Jesus is that key player. We all need to play our part if we want to win, but only Jesus can score that winning goal. Only Jesus can score that winning point. And if you think about that kind of game, if you think about people, generally speaking, nobody's going to like that guy. Nobody's going to like that key player because he's going to get all the glory. He's going to get all the attention. Nobody's going to like him. But Jesus is different. He doesn't do it for his own fame and glory. We see in verse 20, in verse 19, sorry. He's not going to make a big deal out of himself. He's not going to go down the street shouting, Hey, I'm the key player. I'm winning the goal. I'm scoring the points here. And Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't get into arguments. He doesn't make a loud noise. In fact, it says here, nobody even hears his voice. 
Jesus is God's chosen servant and God is pleased with him. He's the only one who really knows the rules, who really plays by the rules. And he wins. He has God's spirit and he is all about justice. He is all about fairness and he wants everyone on his team. He doesn't make a big deal out of himself. He's not going to argue, make lots of noise. No one's going to even notice him. He's not going to kick people off his team. He's not going to kick the weak or tired or the broken link in the chain. He's not leaving anyone behind. And he's going to keep playing round after round until he wins. And when Jesus wins, everyone wins. It's not some cheap participation award that you get at school. This is not even the gold medal. This is the crown of life. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, when he has played the game and he has stuck it out to the end, to that final round, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. When Jesus wins, everyone wins. And the prize is the crown of life. Of life. The Pharisees thought that the law, the rules that God gave them, would help them win at life. But it only made it harder. And it made it harder for them. And it didn't help that they kept adding to them. The whole reason that God gave the law was to show people sin, their sin, that on their own they couldn't live life on their own, that they couldn't live the life that they wanted to live. They needed help, help from the game master, the one who created the game of life, the creator himself. And in Jesus, we're free from those laws because he's dealt with sin. The law was given so that we would recognize our sin, but Jesus deals with our sin, and so he deals with the law. Because he shows us that It really is about mercy. It's not about following the rules. It's about mercy. And he offers us a different set of rules, a different set of game rules, a different way to live life. And it is the way of mercy, grace and love, not sacrifice or obeying the law or obeying the rules. The definition of a good Christian is not someone who reads their Bible, who knows their Bible. It's not someone who prays every day or sounds amazing when they pray. It's not someone who rocks up to church every Sunday, who gives 10% of their income. That's not what makes a good Christian. They are good things and things that we should be seriously thinking about. But they don't make you a good Christian just as much as obeying the law results in winning life. God changes the way that we play the game of life. Instead, a good Christian is someone who recognises they can't live this life without Jesus. They recognise that sin exists, that there is a problem with sin in their life and the only solution is to trust Jesus to deal with it. They recognise that no matter how well they play this game, they play the world's game of life. In the end, they can't win. So we're free. 
We're free from performing well at school. Do your best, but you won't lose if you don't do well at school. You're free from the rat race at work. Work hard, but you're not going to lose if you don't get that promotional raise. You're free from comparing yourself to other people. You're free from perfection and success. Dream. Dream about what you can do in life and strive to do better. But you won't lose if you don't. Not with Jesus. Just like Jesus, this means you are free to play the game of life by a different set of rules. You don't have to play the world's way. You play Jesus' way. Do good, show mercy, and bring justice. If you trust Jesus and you choose this game plan, then the game's play is simple. Do good and enjoy it. We are free from what people think about it. We don't need to play by their rules. There's no rules about who, what, when, where or how. You don't even have to be good at doing good. Just give it a go. Jesus isn't kicking anyone off his team for being weak or tired or failing. Show mercy with grace and love. In Jesus, we're showing a completely different set of rules, a different way to life. Mercy is showing compassion and forgiveness to people who deserve something else. Undeserved favour. In other words, we're free to be kind, compassionate, forgiving to people who the world rejects, who the world thinks is unworthy. Bring justice. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where the strong prey on the weak, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, the gap between the two, the haves and the have-nots keeps growing. Where men, women and children are deprived of their dignity, humanity and worth because of human trafficking, greed, despotism, misguided terrorist ideologies, political wars, selfish ambition and so on. Bring justice. The greatest injustice, which is at the heart of all these things, is the injustice of sin. People damned to an eternity in hell because they fail to recognise the consequences, the eternal consequences, by playing the world's game of life. And this is why God sends Jesus. His chosen servant, his dearly loved, his beloved son, to deal with this great injustice. In his mercy, when people deliberately turn and reject him, choose to live life their own way, he gives us Jesus. To this injustice of sin, he gives us Jesus. And as we come to Easter in a few weeks, we're reminded that Jesus will go to the cross, where he will die for people who despise him, who block him, who delete him, who forget him, who ignore him, who knock him back and reject him. And even when he is in absolute agony on the cross, he will say to God, Father, forgive these people because they do not know what they are doing. The greatest act of justice, Jesus' greatest act of justice, 
that we get to be a part of is breaking the injustice of sin, breaking the curse of sin in the lives of people around us. I think the best part about all of this is that we're free to screw up. We're free to mess up this game. We're free to fail. We're free to struggle. We're free to do it badly and have absolutely no idea what we're doing. We're free to play this game and have absolutely no idea. doesn't mean that we don't try. doesn't mean that. We should. We should try. But in trying, Jesus says, a bruised reed I will not break and a smoldering wick I will not quench or smolder. He's not going to kick anyone off his team. It's not about how well you perform. It's not how it works with Jesus. Do good, show mercy and bring justice into the lives of people around you. The strangers, the foreigners, the weirdos, the sick, the rejected, the people the world has forgotten. Do that, even if you do it badly. Are you a winner? Or really depends whose team you're playing on. Whose rules are you playing by? The good news, the good news of the gospel is that we don't need to play by the world's rules. Jesus has changed the rules to the game. He's changed the way that we play. And we're free. In Jesus, we're free. Jesus is the game changer, the merciful chosen servant of God. And something greater then the temple is here. Something greater than any version of the game of life is here. And his name is Jesus. He's God's chosen servant, dearly loved. God is pleased with him. God's spirit is on him and he will proclaim justice to all, to everyone. He doesn't make a big deal out of himself. He's not going to kick anyone off his team. And he's going to keep playing. He's going to keep doing good, showing mercy, bringing justice until he wins. And if you're on Jesus' team, if you trust him and want to play his way, you're on the winning team. The good news is not only that Jesus wins, but we know he wins. And when he wins, if we trust in him, We win. So the question is, whose team are you on? Today, choose which team you'll play on. You're going to play with Team Jesus? You're going to play with Team World? As for me, I'm playing with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you. We thank you that you are the creator. You are the one who makes the rules. You're the one who made this game, this game of life. And we just ask that you help us. Help us know that it's only in Jesus that we, we can win in this game of life. That we can play his way and not by the way of the world. And that we can mess up 
in doing that. And that's okay. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful and loving to us in this. So help us. Help us to trust Jesus. Help us to understand that Jesus wants us on on his team. And we just pray that we would all choose today to play with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth. But above all, thank you for your mercy, your undeserved favour to us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to come now to a time of remembering. And we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper.